0: Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. The Dugout, football social daily. Welcome
1: to The Dugout, the podcast from Sports Social featuring former Premier League players, tackling all the talking points from another week of top flight drama. And is there really any better entertainment than the Premier League itself? Because this week we're blowing out the candles and saying happy 30th birthday to a league which has given us so many memorable moments. We've had 93-20, the special one, and 10,000 to one. Dilly ding, dilly dong. But what sticks out the most since 1992? Could this weekend add to the theatre as there are some interesting clashes to be contested? Everton yet to win this season against a new look Nottingham Forest. Tottenham face Wolves without the band Antonio Conte. And will Newcastle show just how much they mean business this season? Or will Manchester City extend their gap to Liverpool come full time on Sunday? All of that to come on the dugout today, as well as the real burning question. What's one thing in football that you would never, ever do? I'll never cut my hair, says Chelsea's Mark Cucurea after it was almost pulled out of his head against Spurs at the weekend. But what's one footballing thing you just won't budge on? My name's Niall and with me I've got former Southampton defender Francis Benali and ex-Hull and Leicester City striker Matty Fryatt today on the show.
2: Hello gents, how are you doing? Hey Nile. yeah good to see you guys, looking forward to the
1: show. Perfect, good to have you both back, good to see you both and... Talking about the Premier League being 30, Franny, you made your debut for Southampton before the Premier League came in. So could you have imagined back then it would have became the beast that it is today?
2: Yeah, firstly, thanks for making me feel very old, Niall. I appreciate that. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I, I, I was part of a group of players that that saw that transition from the old first division to what was then the Premiership and then ultimately the Premier League. So... Yeah, it was a a big shift. It was a big adjustment, big change. You know, live televised matches. Money started coming into the sport. You know, players had names on the back of their shirts and things like that. So, yeah, there was a a lot of changes initially and one or two of them took a little bit of adjusting to initially. But, uh, yeah, it's just gone from strength to strength over the years, hasn't it?
1: What was the initial reaction, the general feeling around the players when the Premier League was first being talked about, as you say, as a a possibility? Because... It has changed the landscape of of English football. There's no doubt about it. Was it met with a mixed response amongst the players?
2: A little bit. You know, it's, I, I struggle to remember what happened last week, let alone 30 years ago. So casting my mind back that far is, is a bit of a challenge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, clearly um, with televised games on, uh, on, you know, live matches, there were broadcasters that were trying to bring that razzmatazz to it a little bit and it f- felt a little bit sort of American themed a little bit you know with cheerleaders and things like that and some of it you're a little bit like Blimey, does this work or is that right for football at the moment and yeah it just you know some things you just didn't sort of seem to be the norm I guess and what we were used to but uh, you know cameras and interviews taking places in, in parts of the ground that you weren't used to was something new as well and becoming accustomed to so having, you know, a camera crew around you pretty close was was something that took a little bit of adjusting to me for personally anyway.
1: Yeah, I know some former pros that would say it was when you stopped being allowed to go down the pub and getting away with it. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that's true or not. Right then, so the Premier League is 30 years old this week. So I'm going to ask Matty and Franny what their most memorable moment is on the pitch in that three-decade period and their most memorable off of it. We'll start with you, Matty, and there's lots to choose from. What would be your most memorable moment of 30 years of Premier League history?
3: Wow, there's some there's some moments to pick from, isn't there? Um, I was a glory hunting fan <laughs> when the Premier League first um, started. And a moment for me was Steve Bruce's two goals that managed to get a victory from sort of the jaws of death as such where they played 15-20 minutes of overtime and Bruce scored them two headers to beat Sheffield Wednesday and I think that was the game where Brian Kidd was diving on the pitch with knee slides and Ferguson was on there but for some reason Manchester United it was Fergie time and they seemed to get 20-25 minutes of extra to keep on going till Man United scored and um, I know that wasn't the deciding thing in the Championship, but it played a huge part in it. I just remember those celebrations when the goals went in and Bruce scoring those two headers. Um, especially as being a kid, I think I was about eight or nine at the time. So that was, uh, like I say, my first part of glory hunting. And then obviously Man, Man United went on to win the Premier League that year.
1: Do you know what it is? It's funny when you ask people, Franny, about their favourite memories or the one that sticks out the most from 30 years of Premier League history. And nearly everyone picks something a little bit left field because most people think it would be the Aguero moment or Leicester winning the title or a host of other famous moments that have happened over the last 30 years. But people generally tend to relate it to their own memories. Is that similar for you if you were going to pick a favourite moment?
2: I guess so. You, you're completely right, Niall. I mean, we've we've been blessed with just so many magical moments that, you know, you almost dig into that pot and think, well, you know, what could you pick up and, you know, choose one? It's, it's so difficult. But uh, I guess from a personal perspective, it would be clearly scoring my, my one and only goal <laughs> in nearly 400 appearances, you know, certainly not as prolific as Matty, but... Um, yeah, it was, uh, when when the moment came, it was uh, hopefully well worth the wait and it was a long time coming.
1: Was it relief, for Annie when that went in? Or? For,
2: for me, most definitely. Yeah, you know, it, was, uh, it got to a stage where as a fullback and a defender, the home supporters, especially at the Dell, when we were playing in home games, it, if I even crossed the halfway line and I had the ball at my feet, they'd all be shut, starting to shout, shoot! You know, it it started to really get into my head a little bit, you know, and um, then I'd be thinking about, well, what am I going to do, goal celebration wise, when I eventually get this goal, or hopefully, uh, and then when it happened, it was um, it was one of those split seconds where there was a stunned silence in the ground, and I think everybody thought, was that actually Franny that scored then? And then the whole place just <laughs> erupted. So, you know, that that was a magical moment. But yeah, you're right. Things like you know Matty's memory of United winning titles and you know, the Aguero moment. There's some obvious things that you're gonna pick, but um I guess from like say the personal point of view, that, that, that'd be a special moment for me. Plus Southampton, you know, being promoted back to the Premier League after they, they they dipped out of it for a few years.
1: Now's your chance to describe that celebration. What was the celebration like? And tell us about the goal, because I guess you don't get to talk about it that often. So now's your opportunity, Franny. You can you can oh, make it as, as exaggerated as you want.
2: Well, <laughs> I don't know if we've got long enough on the show to be honest now, but uh, <laughs> briefly it was uh, it was a header from a Matt Letizio Free kick. Uh, I think the Leicester City players that we were playing against on the day probably thought, well, you know, Franny's no threat. So I wasn't marked in the box at all. The ball got swung in and and I just thought, I'm going to throw my head at it and um, got a pretty decent contact on it and it it flew in from quite some distance. And uh, it seems to get further out year on year. That's the only thing. (laughs) It's it's about 45 (laughs) yards out now as we're speaking currently. But um, yeah, it, it, it was. I think I just stood there thinking, Wow. And I I just started screaming and then the next thing, all my teammates were piling on top of me. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great moment. I'm pleased I got at least one. Uh,
1: what about off the pitch moments then? Because there's been loads of those as well, Matty, hasn't there? My favourite was when Jose Mourinho first came to the Premier League and he did that. Uh, amazing pre-match press conference where he said, I am the special one. And I'll just never forget that. I don't know why, because maybe because I was a young, impressionable lad at the time and couldn't believe someone with such charisma had walked through the doors of the Premier League. Are there any off-field moments that stick out for you?
3: I'd have to go again. (laughs) Man United. (laughs) Um, And Kevin Keegan in particular, when he had that meltdown and people were well miles ahead of Man United at the time and all the mind games about certain players that they're not trying and he just Ferguson just got to him and it just all became a little bit too much obviously Man United were used to being at the top and Newcastle they were an exciting team but it all just came crashing down and that interview was part of it and then unfortunately for Newcastle it played out on the pitch where the form went and Manchester United went on a huge run and they just yeah that was a, a big thing like say I was a, a glory hunting Manu fan and that that meltdown was pretty epic wasn't it
1: you didn't fancy picking Cantona's Kung Fu kick then that wasn't on your list
3: <laughs> was it on the pitch or off the pitch though because in theory we were sort of oh
1: that's a great question oh well
3: yeah, he was he was half and half, wasn't he? He was uh, <laughs> his back boot was um, on the pitch, and his right one was in a supporter's face. Um, but no, we we don't want to talk about that one too much.
1: What about you, Franny? Off-field memories from thirty years of Premier League history?
2: What springs to mind? Probably a little bit harder to choose, Niall. I think, but I, I think from what we witnessed last weekend between Conte and Tuchel, I think I think you know whenever there's been a little dust up on the touchline between managers, you know that that often sort of sparks an awful lot of interest, doesn't it? And, you know, interest in, you know, what's going on on the touchline, you know, off off the playing field. But uh, I, I think it's, it's probably not an amusing or particularly interesting view, but I, I think it's maybe, I'd, I'd like to maybe mention, uh, you know, I did a little interview earlier this week uh, with Saints Foundation, which I'm an ambassador for. And we were talking about the money that filters through from the Premier League to go to... You know, supporting foundations and clubs and the, and the football pyramid a bit, and and the impact that the money that's coming into the game can have off the pitch and in the local communities as well. So, you know, it, it's maybe not something that we get to see on the television week in week out necessarily, but uh, you know, there's there's clearly a lot of things and lots of money in the sport and year on year that just seems to get bigger, doesn't it? But uh, maybe in some ways, not always necessarily in a good way, but. Certainly there's a lot of good that comes from the money that is generated through the Premier League and the broadcasting rights and filtering out into the, the, you know, the communities across the country.
1: Massively agree, and I think that it would have been remiss of us not to discuss the impact that that has had in communities up and down the country over the 30 years of the Premier League. Of course, football did exist before 1992. Uh, You only need Franny and his presence here on the podcast to tell you that. So we are talking about since the Premier League's inauguration, but um, so many great moments before then as well, and I'm sure they'll continue to be into the future. But if we were going to, between us, myself Francis Benali and Matty Fryer pick a moment in Premier League history, which is probably the most memorable all round. Would you go with the Aguero moment, Matty? Do you think that is the most iconic moment in 30 years of Premier League history?
3: It hurts me to say because it's a Man City moment and and it was against Man United. I know it was against QPR, but at the same time, Manchester United had already beat, I think, Sunderland on the day. And they were waiting on the and it was just exhilarating, wasn't it to think that that one goal separates winning the championship or doesn't it was um it yeah, it's the most probably iconic moment um most exhilarating anyway for the championship to be decided in the last seconds, especially from the position that they were in um so for me, it probably would be the Aguero.
1: If not the Aguero goal, Franny, then it's probably run pretty close by Leicester winning the Premier League title. 10,000 to one odds before the season and they ended up pulling it off.
2: Yeah, if, if you're billing it as a, a, a you know most memorable moment, I think I agree with Matty. You know, you're going to be difficult to hard to argue against the Aguero moment and the rivalry and the circumstances and the timing of it all. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. No, that from an achievement perspective, Leicester City's has got to be right up there as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, 30 years old, the Premier League this week. Happy birthday. Here's to more great moments in the future. And maybe we might see some this weekend, because that's what we're going to look at next here on The Dugout. Some big fixtures and we'll talk about them after this.
0: The Dugout Premier League Preview. Football Social Daily. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Welcome back this
1: is The Dugout your podcast from Sports Social featuring former Premier League professionals Matty Fryer and Francis Benali, are alongside me and some interesting fixtures this weekend no less the first one of the game week which is at 12.30 on Saturday as Tottenham Hotspur welcome Wolves to North London do you think Tottenham have got enough, Matty, to get closer to City and Liverpool this season? Because we know Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, those two sides managed by those two men, have been the front runners in the Premier League over the last four or five seasons. A lot of people before the campaign began were tipping Tottenham as the next side to try and close that gap. Do you agree? Or do you think there's still plenty of work for them to do?
3: I think there's work to do for Tottenham. I said for the, before the game last weekend, Chelsea would be a difficult match. It would be interesting to see if they could get anything from that game, in which they duly did in the, in the last minute. So that shows a bit more character to what we used to from Tottenham. Uh, I think that's driven by Conte in particular. They've added a lot more depth into the squad. I think last year the, they couldn't rely on certain people. Um, it was mainly the starting eleven. I think the addition of someone like Richarlison um, freshens up the forward line. And obviously, at the minute, he isn't part of the, the front three but it allows those front three players to have a rest at certain moments where the quality doesn't drop down as much. He's a, a top player in his own right I'm not. Obviously, there's others that have been signed as well, um, but there's a lot more depth to, to the Tottenham squad as last season probably was only comfortable in 11, 12, 13 players, as now there's more like 16, 17, 18, where... Um, so it's more of a squad, so I think the gap will close in in terms of can they get nearer to Liverpool and Man City due to the squad, but also would put probably looking at Chelsea still in the mix. As much as it's early doors and people going on about Arsenal and Tottenham, I think Chelsea still, they've got one hell of a squad. Um, but I think it has closed the gap in terms of the squad depth. Um, but again, it's all very early. And it was interesting to see that that game last weekend. Um, a lot of people were back in Tottenham. I, I actually thought Chelsea would manage to get the win. Um, but Tottenham came back from a losing position and, and grabbed, a, grabbed a point. So on the travels, you'd take that. Um, so they're showing a lot more resilience to what they, they've shown in previous seasons. I think, like I say, that's that's due to the manager.
1: I'm glad you have brought up that game against Chelsea last week because... There were a few pundits actually on TV, Franny, that were saying maybe Tottenham had somewhat of an eye opener against Chelsea because, as Matty says, they're still a very good side, Chelsea. And, you know, Tottenham, in order to get up to that next level and try and challenge the likes of Manchester City and Liverpool, are going to need to be on it pretty much every week. So do you subscribe to that thought process of... You know, maybe it might be slightly more challenging for Tottenham than initially thought.
2: Yeah, it was a fascinating matchup, wasn't it? And a, a great spectacle we watched. Um, I, I agree both sides of it. I agree with with Matty that, you know, the, the squad depth now is great with Perisic coming in and Basuma along with Richarlison. And, and I watched that first game, Spurs, when they, they tore Southampton apart, my team. You know Kuluzewski was, was just almost unplayable on the day, so you know they've got so many threats in the side, and that's not even talking about Kane and Son. So, yeah, they're, they're going to be in the mix for sure. Um, but I also subscribe to the side that maybe that was that just a little bit of a wake up call last week, it wasn't quite maybe the game that a lot of people were predicting, and how good Tottenham were going to be, and how he not easy is the wrong way to explain it, but um, you know. Maybe they thought it'd be a comfortable win in some ways against Chelsea. You know, the Premier League's not like that, as we know. And uh, you know, and, and that word that you use now, consistency. I think that's going to be key for them. Um, but as Matty touched on, resilience-wise, to come back and get a draw from that game at the Bridge at the weekend was uh, showed a, a lot about. Tottenham in the early stages of this season, but typifies everything that we know about Conte.
1: Yeah. And Antonio Conte won't actually be there this weekend against Wolves because he's banned. He got sent off for that fracas with Thomas Tuchel, which is a brilliant watch, I must say. And both managers were really not backing down, which is brilliant entertainment. But how much of a difference does that make as a player, Matty, when your gaffer's not in the dugout? Is it a case of the messages are relayed beforehand and you just have to deal with it? Or does it make a significant impact? What's your experience of that?
3: I would say it won't make too much of a difference because all the tactics and everything that goes on beforehand happens in the week. He'll still be able to get his message to the players beforehand. Um, there will be tiny mo- Well, we saw last weekend with the drinks break. That was quite fascinating in terms of mini little tactical battles, a, bit, a little bit like um, the NBA where you have a timeout. Um, I was watching Arsenal-Leicester and they scored, Arsenal did, and then they had the drinks break and it just absolutely killed anything for Leicester to even think the back into it and it was just the a, a worst sort of moment for Leicester. Um, so then, if, if you, your manager's there, so Conte is on the side, you're not going to see that this weekend, um, but most of the message is already um, given before the game and the Precious is already there on your own Precious as a player. The fans already being a home game, so I don't think it will matter too much, um, in my opinion. Uh, and they'll know he's there, <laughs> just because he isn't just directly on the touchline, shouting and balling and being as animated as what he is. Um, they still know he's there, so it's not like he's gone away on holiday and uh, the supply teacher's in. Um, so, no, no, for me, I, I don't think it will make too much of a difference.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting when these sorts of things happen. I remember talking of 30 years of Premier League history when Arsene Wenger got sent to the stands was it at Old Trafford and he decided he was going to go and stand on the roof of the dugout Um, managers react to these things in in strange ways it's it's fair to say Um, but no Antonio Conte for Tottenham Hotspur this weekend against Wolves now for a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday and it's Everton against Nottingham Forest at Goodison Park and this is a good chance isn't it Franny for Everton to try and get on the board for the season they've lost two from two so far a wretched campaign last season in which they very nearly went down the longer they go without a win the more pressure is going to build on Frank Lampard isn't it?
2: It it will do clearly yeah you know when there's almost that element of pressure right from the start of the season clearly you know you get a handful of games into the season and you know it's, it's a shame really I think in many ways that you know somebody like Frank is probably being talked about in this way and being under pressure at this stage of the season or any manager, it could be anyone, you know, I, I don't like to see it, I don't like to hear it because it's something that is, um, you know, it's, we, we know it's a marathon and not a sprint and, uh, you know, nobody's going to get relegated in the first few weeks or the first couple of months of the season, it's, it goes the whole way. So um, it, it's a big game though, you know, you look at some of the fixtures they've got, they've got Brentford away, Leeds United away to play as well. Uh, but yeah as as you rightly say it'll be an opportunity to to get some points or a point on the board um and i think the new signers are going to play their part as well you know conor cody coming in tarkovsky it'll be important time to settle in a little bit maybe but uh you know i think the the, the biggest concern maybe around any Evertonians at the moment is whether Anthony Gordon is going to be leaving the club or not you know there's there's talk about that isn't there so he'll be a key member of the squad that they'll want to keep.
1: Yeah I agree and I think that this adds to the problems that Everton have got I think it's probably fair to argue from what we've seen so far they might be fighting at the bottom end of the table again this season Matty much like they were last season but when you've got that possibility of a player leaving and 45 million is the latest bid from Chelsea that's been rejected for Anthony Gordon it almost seems to add more to the problems that the club seems to already have
3: I totally agree with that it's an unneeded distraction for Everton and obviously that the money is uh, going up considerable and there'll be a point where Everton th- will probably think well actually that's really good money for an unproven player even though he's a very talented player he's what broke into the team last year? Um, you can see is a real talent, but at the same time, when they get in office of 45 million plus, um, puts Everton in a difficult situation. Now, on the same time, there's a lot of pressure on him to perform at the minute, and he's only a young player as well. They're, they're desperately in need of someone to score some goals. Obviously, letting Richard Charlison go, which was for big money again, um, weakens e- Everton. And then to get the injury to Calvin Lewin at the start of the season, they've had they've had a lot of bad luck in terms of injuries. They had uh, Ben Godfrey at the start of the season, I think, is a good player as well. He's got an injury. So, for Everton, I just can't see where they're going to get the goals. Obviously, they've added people like Dwight McNeil into the team. Um, but you look through it and you think, are they really going to get many goals? Um, even at the weekend, was, was it an own goal? Um, they didn't actually score that themselves so you'd think where the goal is going to come from and if they were to lose Anthony Gordon as well it's um it's gonna it's gonna be one of them where the Everton fans thinking who who's gonna get the goals here
1: yeah apart from Calvert-Lewin as you say their track record of strikers since selling Dukaku to Manchester United has been has been poor let's be honest um I can think of a handful of players that just, just haven't really worked at Everton. And, you know, Dwight McNeil, as you say, a new addition. And I don't think he has a particularly impressive goal record, All albeit he's a bit of a workhorse. At least he was for Burnley, but doesn't really get on the board too much in terms of goals. Let's look at Nottingham Forest then, one of your former clubs, Matty. And talking of new players, there's been a serious turnover of playing staff At the City ground, I think 15. I've lost count, to be honest. I think it's 15 new players that have come in. They lost seven at the end of last season due to loans and transfers out and stuff. They brought 15 in. How much of a problem can that cause for a manager? Do you think Steve Cooper's got it all under control? I imagine it can't be easy when you've got that many new faces in the building.
3: Yeah, we will do well remembering all the names. <laughs> uh, I can't believe how they've gone about the recruitment, to be honest. They've just spent money after money after money in the numbers. They're talking 15-odd signings. It's a um, big turnover in terms of players out, players in, and they seem like as if they're going to continue spending. And, and for a club, they would need to stay in the Premier League because it's not sustainable to keep on spending this amount of money. And then the consequences are, if you don't stay up, what sort of trouble they're going to be in financially. Um, obviously, Nottingham Forest aren't going to be looking at that and they're thinking we want to stay in the league and it was good to get an opening day, um, opening home game victory. But at the same time, it's difficult to gel players. Um, quite a lot of these players that have signed are from abroad as well. Um, There's not too many in the Forest squad with Premier League experience. Um, You look at people like Steve Cook, Jesse Lingard, but there's not a whole host of experienced Premiership players. So yes, the the opening weeks, fans are excited and they've been out of the Premier League for a while. So there's going to be that feeling of when you go into games, that excitement, the adrenaline. But what's it going to be like when a few defeats go against them and... Certain players are looking at one another and thinking, well, where's the experience in the squad? And in terms of Premier League level, it's, it's completely different. Um, and then, uh, like you touched on, the manager's got to gel all the players, got to get used to how Nottingham Forest play. Um, it's, it's a difficult one. Obviously, you want to freshen things up and add um, a decent number in, um, five, six, seven, but 15-odd players is, is a big number. integrate them all and it for for everyone to gel it's uh it's going to be a difficult task for him but I think he's a good manager did really well at Swansea and then to go into Forest last year and they were nowhere and then they went on a magnificent run and they've already got points on the board this year
1: yeah absolutely agree with pretty much all of what you said and Steve Cooper is certainly a manager who reminds me a bit of Graham Potter actually someone who wasn't as well known as a few people might have thought and yet seems to have a a clear methodology which is which is good to see. So Nottingham Forest travelled to Goodison Park to face Everton three o'clock on Saturday. Moving on to Sunday now and the third and final fixture we're going to talk about. Of course, all of the fixtures uh, we'll discuss on Sunday's show with Fergal when they've all taken place. Um, but just for a preview today, we're going to look at Newcastle versus Manchester City finally. That's a half-four kickoff on Sunday. The gap at the moment, Franny, between Manchester City and Liverpool after just two games is already four points. Now, I know it's early doors and there's a few Liverpool fans and City fans that are listening to this thinking, well, hang on a sec. It is so early in the season. Let's not get carried away. But I will say a gap of that size has been enough or even more than enough to win the title in seasons gone by. So with Liverpool facing Manchester United, albeit a pretty terrible United at the moment, next up, does that give Man City even more incentive against Newcastle to win that game and apply even more pressure early doors to Liverpool?
2: you're right, it's a long way to go. Um, but as we know, you know there's been some close races before, hasn't there and Liverpool certainly can't afford to you know have too many of these slip ups and and, and what these first couple of results has done is added the pressure on them not to have that little blip at some point in the season. Uh, it's going to crank up the pressure to to be more consistent just to be winning games and, and maximizing points week in week out which is going to be a, a, a tough ask, clearly. You know, they're capable of doing that. That goes without saying. Um, but uh, you, you would have to say it, it certainly tilts the the pendulum in in City's favour for sure. And, uh, you know, the, the fixtures you just mentioned, you know, Liverpool will want to naturally bounce back and get to winning ways. Um, but City, we've just seen year on year under, under Pep, they're just that machine that just has that consistency, I think and, and grinds those results out and have the, the players and the manager that is able to, you know, just produce results of a level that, you know, wins titles. And, um, you know, and, and as we know, the the arrival of Haaland uh, yeah. in the City ranks is, is something that's probably filling every single Premier League defender with absolute dread this season, I would imagine.
1: Have you been impressed with what you've seen from Haaland so far? Matty, someone who plays in the same position that you did, Um, You made a a reputation at Leicester for starting the season like an absolute steam train and you smashed in 20 goals before Christmas. Um, Do you think Erling Haaland might do something similar?
3: I wasn't so good in the second part of the season, I'll tell you
1: (laughs) That's why I didn't mention it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, In comparing myself to Haaland, (laughs) he looks a phenomenal player, doesn't he? Um, Those goals that he scored against West Ham, he just look frightening for any defend defender. Um a little bit different against Bournemouth, because obviously Bournemouth sitting. Um so that might give a bit of hope um for teams that they might not allow him that space even though he's he's an imposing figure, isn't he? He's what, six foot four, six foot five. I, th- I think he's got it all. Um I've been really impressed by him. Obviously I've seen clips of him, his work rate when he was at Dortmund. Um, But he looked so impressive, that that opening game. Um, And it just, like Franny said, it just makes Man City a harder beast um, to have him up top and the goals that he's going to provide. Because last year, they didn't really have a recognised forward. And then to think they still were, well, they were such an incredible team last year in the way they managed to to win the league Um, with, obviously, Liverpool on the coattails the whole time it just I think it just adds an extra string to the bow doesn't it with Haaland Um, and I think he could he could possibly break the Premier League goal scoring record for a season I I think uh, he's got that capability and the amount of chances that City create as well Um, yeah he does look one hell, hell of a player
1: yeah I agree I think it's frightening what he could possibly achieve this season as for Newcastle are they going to be the side that will do what Leicester and West Ham have done in recent seasons, Franny, and try and push for a top six finish? I've seen a lot of people in their Premier League predictions this season saying that Newcastle United will finish in the top seven of the top flight this campaign, but I personally think that it's a bit too soon to give them that sort of prediction, I suppose. What do you think?
2: They're, they're, they've got the the ability to do it, I think, haven't they? And clearly looking at their resources and how they've been spending and now that Eddie Howe has signed a long-term contract as well, um, you know, there's there, you can see almost like some sort of stability there at the club. You know, the, the signings they've made, you know, initially when, um, you know, players were coming in, they were, you know, what you wouldn't necessarily call is superstar signings, but, you know, they, they were there. They're good, solid players. Um, you know, you've got Joe Linton. That just seems to be a revelation in midfield now. Um, you know, I never saw that coming whatsoever. So... You know, it's, it's almost like a new signing in in many ways, isn't it? Um, and you know, I think acquiring players like Nick Pope and things like that, it's you know, they're they're building those blocks. I think towards something that's going to be bigger and better for Newcastle United. Whether they do it this season, there's that question mark. Time will tell. But I think what is key for them, if they are going to have one of those seasons where they're punching into the top six, they need to have a good start. So it's picking up. That momentum points early on that could then launch them through the rest of the campaign
1: well we'll see how they get on this weekend St James's Park the venue as Newcastle play Man City alright we're going to take another break now on the dugout and in the next part of the show we're going to ask one thing in football that Franny and Matty will never ever do because Mark Kukurea says he's never cutting his barnet we'll get on to it next
0: The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily The Dugout, Premier League Preview, Football Social Daily.
1: Welcome back. This is The Dugout from Sports Social, final part of today's show. My name's Niall. I've got former Southampton man Francis Benali, and ex-Nottingham Forest Hull and Leicester striker Matty Fryer alongside me. And Mark Kukurea has been... Uh, On the back pages this week, should we say, after he had his hair pulled in Tottenham's equaliser against Chelsea, a 2-2 draw at the weekend, which really did end up in fireworks both on and off the pitch. However, even though that there was no decision made by VAR after Cucuré having his hair pulled, he said that he's never going to cut it off. So I wanted to ask the gents here, what is one thing in football they would never do as a player or still don't do now, just out of principle? So we're going to have a bit of fun. With this one, we did hear some of the guys on Football Social Daily earlier this week come up with a couple of answers for this. But I'm interested to hear what you boys think. So we'll come to you first, Franny. If there's one thing in football you would never do, Mark Cucurera says he won't cut off his hair. What's one thing Francis Benali would never do?
2: Uh, do As a defender, it used to drive me bonkers and it it, it made my blood boil, guys, honestly, serious As as a player at the back when... Started to see that that shift of like attacking players just fall to the ground without barely being touched or even touched at all at times. <laughs> that that used to frustrate me so so much. You won't believe. And I think I would find that hard if I was a player nowadays to try and deal with how you know how easily players do go to ground um, and how different the game is in that sense. So yeah, I I, I would never see myself like trying to feign an injury or shall we say, sort of encourage the referee to give a decision, or a foul, a penalty, free kick, whatever. Um, yeah, that's that's something I never do. Probably something on a more serious note. I think it's very rarely happened, but, I, you know, and, and this would, like, send me into another territory, I think, but, you know, there's been occasions when players have spat at a player. You know, I know oh, yeah. for a fact, or in someone's face, I would never do that, I don't think. So um, I certainly hope, I'd I'd like to think I wouldn't. But uh, yeah, you know, strikers fall into the ground. Seems we've got a a striker on with us today. Uh, I'd I'd have to eliminate that. I'd have to punish the strikers a bit more if they were trying to to con the referees.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I can imagine that it would have been frustrating back then because diving is still a problem in the game today. Um, Simulation or whatever they call it now, Franny, is that something that was less prevalent when you were playing? Do you think it it happens more now than it did then?
2: Oh, most definitely less prevalent when I I played. You know, players took pride in almost like one not being shown they were injured or hurt, but also trying to stay on their feet. And and clearly, there's times players went to ground or would win a free kick or a foul. But you know, on on the whole, players would would try to their best to either get a shot away or you know continue moving in on goal or yeah I mean most definitely yeah it's, it's, it's so different it's, it's complete chalk and cheese but uh, maybe, maybe on a light, light note what I, what I wouldn't do if if is not cutting his hair maybe it would have been interesting I saw someone post on social media the other day about me saying I should never have cut my moustache off so that, that would have been interesting I could have had a big Big old moustache. So I'd never cut shaved that.
1: I <laughs> cut. <laughs> okay, it's like a bit like when Mark Lawrence shaved his moustache off. It was the it was the talk of match of the day. But I think it suits you as you are now, Franny. I'll be honest. Yeah, I think. Very
2: kind. But when Graham Soonis arrived at the club, the club wasn't big enough for two moustaches, so mine had to go. <laughs> <laughs> very
1: good, uh, Matty. What about you, mate? You've played a lot of games in your career. What's one thing that you would never do?
3: I would never go to a manager's office and ask why I wasn't playing. Um, I just didn't get that. I felt like it would put you under pressure Um, because when you do play and you didn't play well, the manager going, you came in my office and you said that you were going to perform and you didn't. But I had a few managers who said that you should go in and sort of discuss it. The actual manager say to myself, um, you should be more open. The, the, the door's there. Come and talk it through. If you're not happy with things. But that was never me. I'd never go and knock on a manager's door asking why I wasn't playing or what's going on with this, what's going on with that, as other players do. I just would never want to be in that position. Um, Now, some players have gone in and changed the team completely. Uh, They've been not starting to start in, threats, this, that and the other, Um, but always respected the manager's decision whether I was playing or not. And even if I felt I should have been in the team after a while, I would never knock on a manager's door to say, what's going on here sort of thing um and i would never do that
2: I've just thought of another one now just thought of another one There's, as a defender and I've actually I have actually done this so it's weird given my mindset as a player many years ago if I saw someone in colored boots that was almost like I would hone in on that big style, guys you know like I'd be thinking you've got to be some player if you're wearing you know colored boots and stuff and you know I know that that's changed and evolved and predominantly most of them now are all jazzy colors. And say things. you'd
1: be suspended for half a season now, Franny, if that was the oh, case.
2: Exactly. Yeah. That, that sort of, yeah. I, but players got extra attention. I think if they had those kind of boots on that I was playing against, but uh, I, I've done it myself now, you know, just playing in a few charity games and stuff, you know, I've been fortunate enough to been provided a few pairs of boots and they're, and they're not the, 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 the sort of, Shall we say, are we allowed to name brandy? You don't
1: need to use Dubbin anymore, I think would be the best way to describe it.
2: <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't the, the, the boot polish and Dubbin. You know, they, they were um, some, you know, brightly coloured boots. So I have worn them. So I've gone against almost like my my morals, if you like, as a, as a player.
1: Really interesting to hear what you guys both say you would never do in a game of football. Um, If you've got any thoughts and get in touch with us on social media, you know where to find us. Thanks for listening to this podcast as ever. Thanks very much, Franny. And thanks, Matty. Appreciate your time. This is The Dugout from Sports Social, our weekly podcast featuring former Premier League professionals. And we'll be back again next week for you.
0: The Dugout, Premier League preview. Football Social Daily.